0: June 7th, 1992, a high school graduate, her best friend, and her mother are discovered missing in Springfield, Missouri. All of their personal belongings, including cars, purses, etc., are all left behind. There are no signs of a struggle except for a broken porch light. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Springfield Three.
1: basement uh fall said bye winter said i'm here early said hi early early for winter it's a damn near thanksgiving well winter don't officially start there captain until december 21st (laughs) okay is that true that's true damn i know growing up in the south we don't keep track of that we just in georgia you just hold your breath and the weather changes because i guarantee you tuesday it'll be 75
0: oh i think it's in the
1: forecast to be <laughs> it was 28 degrees this morning <laughs> and i don't know if our wonderful listeners in podcast land know this or not if you have animals and they have high anxiety they have cbd oil for pets now a side effect of said cbd oil for dogs, it can make them a little gaseous. See, I, I didn't know where you. I didn't know about. I didn't know where you're going with this. I was like, Did we get a sponsor? Did we get a dog CBD sponsor? No, nope, they're gassy. <laughs> and said gassy dog, mine, and I will post a picture of him online. He has three legs, and that's the story in itself. But my three-legged dog is faster than he was when he had four, and uh, he has awoken my wife and I from a dead sleep, and I would swear he took a shit in the floor. That's how nasty his farts are. (laughs) It got so bad last night at 3 in the morning, I seriously considered locking him in my son's room just to see the reaction. And they're not silent but deadly. They're loud like human farts, and they stink. God, they stink.
0: (laughs) What what happened to this podcast?
1: We've gone to the dogs. We've gone to the dogs.
0: See what I did there? (laughs) That's a good one.
1: (laughs) I knew you'd like it. That was good. That was good. Is that a leaf blower? (laughs) Apparently, that's your new computer. Um, is it really? Yeah. It sounds like it's coming from back there. Oh, might be the heater. I guess because it was fifty-eight degrees when I come in here
0: man i don't know nor do i care
1: we have heat now in the basement actually we're not in the basement if you paid attention we're in a studio and we have heat now so we're not freezing our peckers off yep that's the furnace kicking on (laughs) (laughs) um patreon changed their app and changed the color so i'm having a hard time finding what i need here but we have a new patron nice no new five-star reviews though amanda iverson is our newest patron at the $3 tier. And if you've not checked us out on Patreon, please check us out on Patreon. Patreon is running a special now. If you pay for the entire year at one setting, you get two months free.
0: Nice. Wait, that co- wait, that costs us money.
1: It does, but it makes it a lot easier in this climate with our... <laughs> but it... Would... <sighs> it makes it easier for people to sign up. It
0: would be... Uh... A night, a lovely Christmas present to us. If you would say, "Hey, for Christmas this year, I'm buying a year's worth of Patreon." That's right. We would love you forever.
1: And we have one dollar, three dollar, ten dollar, and the super duper top ta- tier, twenty dollars.
0: I mean, you could. I mean, that's two hundred dollars for a year. That'd be nice.
1: Yeah, and you're saving forty bucks.
0: Yep. It's you can't even turn that down. You can't. With a savings of $40, how yeah. can you even?
1: It's the time, it's the giving season. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway, we since, <laughs> since this case happened in Springfield, Missouri, we're going to the king of beers, red label Budweiser. We're going old school. That's some old school stuff, man. Especially that how like Bud Light took over the whole Anheuser Busch landscape, you know?
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that has to be. I would say now I'm not researched it, but I would have to say that Bud Light probably eclipses anything else they sell. Well, eh, short of I don't. They're Michelob too, aren't they, or is that Miller? Miller, what is Michelob Miller or Bud?
0: Michelob is Anheuser Busch. Um, at oh. one point, I do know I don't. This was a long time ago, but at one point, I do know that uh, Bud Light accounted for one out of every three beers sold in the United States. So there you go. Not just from Anheuser Busch, but one out of every Three beers, so Coors Light, Miller Light. One out of every three was Bud Light.
1: That's a lot. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's about all the bills in this. So we're going to dive headfirst into the Springfield 3 case.
0: One of, uh, one of uh, the more famous cases we're, we've been doing. This is, well, this is a very famous case in America. Most people should have heard of it. If you haven't, shame on you.
1: It's been featured on... Up your your true crime game. That's right. It's been featured on 48 Hours. It's been featured on Unsolved Mysteries.
0: America's Most Wanted.
1: Probably every Discovery Channel true crime thing out there. But it was 1992, and Susie Streeter was 19, and her best friend Stacey McCall was 18. The pair had just graduated from Kickapoo High School on June the 6th. Kickapoo. It's a good name. I like that name. Kickapoo. I wonder what their mascot is. Look that up. (laughs) All right. So they were celebrating with the rest of their class, hopping from one graduation party to another, and were last seen around 2.15 a.m. on June the 7th as they left their final party stop of the night. Susie and Stacy headed to Susie's house at 1717 East Del Mar Street in Springfield, Missouri. They're the Chiefs. The Kickapoo Chiefs. Kickapoo Chiefs. Where Stacy had made plans to spend the night with Susie and her mother... Cheryl Levett or Levitt. Now, Cheryl was 47. She was a cosmetologist, and on the night of June the 6th, she had been talking to a friend on the phone around 11.15 p.m., and she was bouncing ideas off her friend because she was looking to paint her armoire, and her friend was giving her ideas. armoire. Armoire.
0: You're not armoire. She's painting her armor.
1: (laughs) She's painting her armor. She got some under. Her armoire. Is that better? Armoire. I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> Surely you do. You correcting me, ass. <laughs> I just like correcting you. I don't care if you correct it. I just like to correct you. So a friend of Susie and Stacy, Janelle Kirby, and her boyfriend, Mike, arrive at Susie's house around 8 a.m. on June the 7th because the trio, or, yeah, I would say the trio because Mike's just alone. He's being told what to do. Janelle, Stacy, and Susie had all made plans at the graduation to go to Branson, Missouri, to a water park with a bunch of their other classmates. But when Janelle got to the house, she noticed Susie's, Stacy's, and Cheryl's cars were all in the driveway. As she and Mike approached the house... House. <laughs> they approached the house. Mike Tyson is doing the podcast now. <laughs> As they approached the house, Janelle notices that the front door is slightly open, or ajar, <laughs> And the globe around the porch light—why
0: <laughs> did that make me laugh?
1: Was shattered all over the porch, which indicates
0: a problem, because you don't typically just smash your, you know.
1: And I had read where you don't smash your lights, man. You usually just turn them off. I had read where the light was actually on in some news articles. Now I don't know if that's true or not. Hmm, how could? It, what do you mean? Like left on and then smashed? And then no, the glo- There was actually like a glass globe over the light bulb. And that's what was actually smashed. Oh. And the light bulb itself was exposed and it was on. But it doesn't No, everything I everything I saw that the porch the whole light thing it was it was dark. Okay. Yeah. So Janelle decides to go in the house and Mike decides that he grabs a broom and he starts cleaning up the broken glass.
0: Yeah. I would you know. I I, I can see how that's just like a normal reaction, but God, you gotta think. Yeah, we'll get into that situation yeah, much later, you but gotta think. No, don't, don't, don't do that,
1: especially if the door's open. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't do that. No, don't no, do no, that. no, no, don't no, no. As Janelle enters the house, she discovers all three of the women's purses with car keys in them and cigarettes in them on a table. She says near the front door. Now Cheryl's purse still had her paycheck that she had cashed inside, which totaled $800. Dang, my tongue is not working. <laughs>
0: $800. And we'll get into it once we get into the theories. You know my theory about this stuff. If you're going to do something nefarious, why not rob them too? Sorry. I mean, I'm not going to do anything nefarious, but if I do, I'm going to rob you too. I'm
1: sorry. I'm taking your money. It's free money. It's cash. Yeah. Untraceable. <laughs> there were two washcloths that Janelle found in a bathroom with makeup on them, and the beds appeared as if they had been slept in. Now, Susie's Yorkie, named Cinnamon... oh, That's a good name for a Yorkie. ...was in the house. Janelle recalls that the dog seemed agitated. Just before Janelle and Mike decide that they are leaving, the phone rings. Janelle answers the phone, and a man on the other end begins making lewd sexual comments. So Janelle immediately hangs the phone up, thinking it was just a prank. And they walk out, close the door behind them, and they head to Branson to the water park. Now, around lunchtime that same day, Stacy's mom, Janice McCall, phones Cheryl and Susie's home looking for Stacy. She gets no answer. As you would do in this situation. She had decided to call because she had not heard from Stacy since the graduation ceremony the night before. So, as the sun is starting to set on June the 7th, Janice decides to head to Cheryl and Susie's home and she finds the door unlocked. All the cars are still in the driveway, and basically the same odd scene that Janelle saw, Janice sees. The one strange thing that Janice Witnesses is that the purses of all three women were lined up along a step leading into Susie's room. And let's
0: just be realistic. The same reason, the same way a man's not going to leave the house without his wallet, women aren't going to leave the house without the purse. So that should immediately indicate
1: that something is very, very wrong. And if they're smokers, they're not going to leave their cigarettes there. Now, Janice gets that uneasy mother's intuition and calls the cops. Now, to make things worse, friends and family members begin showing up at the house, which further contaminate the scene. While Janice is waiting on the cops to arrive, she plays a message on the answering machine and accidentally deletes the message. All she could tell authorities was that it was an unfamiliar male voice to her. Now, the hours turn to days, The days turned to weeks. Did she give any indication of what the message
0: said? I couldn't find it in my research. Really? Yeah. See, that's what... So, yeah, I got confused. I thought the lewd stuff was on the answering machine.
1: Now, now, according to what I saw, Janelle's the one that heard the lewd comments, and it was separate from the answering machine. No, I believe you. I'm I'm, I'm quite certain you did more research than I did. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the search continues. Friends, neighbors, average community members, they all turn out. They start helping police search. Rural and suburban areas around Springfield. This includes an extensive search in Lake Springfield, Forsyth, Joplin, and Stockton. Many other people pass out flyers and hang up posters around the Springfield community to aid in the search just days after the three women disappeared. The images of Cheryl, Susie, and Stacy, frozen from those 1992 photos and missing posters still to this day hang in a few Springfield storefronts. Wow. That's good. I mean, that's good, though. They're not giving up. No, and I'll have to say kudos to the Springfield Police Department because they realized real quickly they were in a situation that they needed help with. So with assistance from the FBI, the Missouri State Highway Patrol, and numerous other law enforcement agencies, the Springfield Police Department says that they conducted an extensive investigation into the lives of the three missing women but have not found any positive leads concerning the reason that they would go missing. Now that extensive search into their lives has not been made public. In 1993 investigators searched 40 acres in Webster County that had been searched in a previous missing persons case and a search warrant confirms that they were looking for the Springfield Three. Now we get into suspects because there's not really yeah, much the, to the disappearance other than what we've discussed. Yeah, it's, that's it. They they were they were found missing. Well, I can't I hate
0: when I say that they were found missing. They came up missing and the evidence was there, and that's it. There's no there's nothing else. There's no other clues. There's nothing more
1: to discuss because it is what it is. So one of the first suspects, unfortunately. But, I mean, in any investigation, this always happens. They start with the family, and they look at Susie's older brother. Well, I mean, that's logical. You
0: start from the inside and work your way out. Why would, I mean, that, why wouldn't
1: you do that? Bart Streeter, Susie's older brother, had a well-known drinking problem, and he had recently fought with his mother and his sister, but he was soon cleared. Now, Bart is still haunted by the disappearance of his sister and his mother, because he never got to patch things up with him. In ner- early 2019, there were reports that surfaced that Bart was arrested on suspicion of public intoxication, disorderly conduct, and attempted false imprisonment of a 15-year-old girl after a February 28th incident at a nail salon in Smyrna, Tennessee. The Streeter family released a statement saying that the charges had been exaggerated. Well, how do you what, what was he trying to do? I don't know. I couldn't. That's all that I could find on that one. In 1996, Robert Craig Cox becomes the main suspect in the women's disappearance. Robert was a former Army Ranger who, in 1988, had been arrested and convicted in Florida for the 1978 murder of Sharon Zellers. The conviction was reversed by the Florida Supreme Court in 1989 due to insufficient evidence. Now, this was not the only black eye on Robert's rap sheet. In 1986, he pled guilty to kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon in California. He was sentenced to nine years in prison for the crime. It was during this prison term when Florida authorities charged him with the murder of Zellers. After the 89 reversal by the Florida Supreme Court, Robert was sent back to California to finish serving out that prison term. Now, the Orlando Sentinel reported that he was paroled in late 1990 and soon returned to his childhood home. Where? Is it Springfield? In Springfield, Missouri. Oh, my Lord. Now, Robert worked as a utilities worker at the time of the disappearance of the Springfield 3. He also reportedly worked as a mechanic at a used car lot where Stacy's father was employed as a salesman. He was interviewed by police in 1992, but claimed he was with his girlfriend on the morning of June 7th. And at that time, his girlfriend corroborated his alibi. Now, by the late 1990s, Robert was behind bars yet again serving out a 30-year sentence for armed robbery in Texas. It was then in 1996 that Robert gave an interview to KY3 news reporter Dennis Graves. During the interview, Graves asked Robert if he knew anything about the missing Springfield 3 women. Robert replied, quote, I know that they are dead. I'll say that. Graves follows with, That's not a theory? To which Robert responds, quote, I just know that they are dead. That's not my theory. I know that. There is no doubt about that, end quote. Damn. Well,
0: I mean, the the fact that the amount of time that has gone by would probably support that theory, to be honest with you. I mean.
1: Now, Robert clams up and refuses to speak any further, so the interview ends. Now, around this same time, Robert's previous girlfriend comes forward and recants her corroboration of his alibi. She claimed that good old Bobby told her to lie if the cops were ever asking questions about the weekend of June the 6th and 7th of 1992. Robert, however, was infamously known as an attention-seeking whore. Authorities were uncertain as to whether Robert was just lying about his involvement to keep himself in the media, Now, while Robert does prove as a promising suspect, authorities had no concrete evidence in which to hold him or pursue the investigation further, and the case goes cold again. The next suspect is Dustin Reckler, Susie Streeter's (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Fuck me. (laughs) Boyfriend. Her ex-boyfriend. I got a a boyfriend and his friend, Michael Clay. The two had a rift with Susie after these two dumbasses were charged with vandalizing a mausoleum and selling gold teeth they sold from corpses. God. Yeah. Michael Clay reportedly said he wished that Susie, Stacy, and Cheryl would all die, and the police could not confirm the men's alibi for that evening and early morning, but they also could not find any evidence tying them to the crime. Supposedly, they are still viable suspects. Yeah, I would say so. The next one on our who's who of dumbasses is (laughs) Stephen Eugene Garrison. He is a known kidnapper and rapist, and he claimed that a friend, quote, confessed to the crime during a drunken evening. Now doesn't really have a lot of legs except that there is a gag order still in place by a grand jury that was convened that prevents what Garrison told them to be made public. Authorities also searched the area he claimed that the three were buried in, but did not find anything. Next we get to the dynamic duo of morons, (laughs) Larry Dwayne Hall and Gary Hall, <laughs> as I like to call the Off Brothers. Fuck off and jerk off.
0: Oh, you've used that line before. Our, our hardcore fans are going to go, no, nope,
1: he's fishing in the same well. <laughs> now, these two traveled around the country performing Civil War reenactments. <laughs> <laughs> Why, of course they did. Now, Gary was just a little odd. But Larry is a certified bona fide serial killer who targeted young women and drove a van down by the river. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> Similar to one that a witness saw. A woman near the Del Mar, Missouri address of the three ladies. Collectively known in the media as... Porch lady claims to have been on her porch. <laughs> and a lady. And a lady. And being a lady. And sitting there when she saw Stacy driving an older Dodge or Ford, I can't remember, green van. And according to porch lady, <laughs> above.
0: I love, I love the name.
1: I love it. Above the engine noise and everything else, she hears a man in the back of the van say, "Don't do anything stupid, and you won't get hurt." Now, does that sound like something you would scream? To be honest with you, like it's something that you would just say in a normal conversation. So, how in the hell is she gonna hear that above that's what I'm engine? that's what
0: I'm saying? It's like
1: even if the street was quiet, especially in a threatening
0: manner, you're gonna be, like, "Don't do anything stupid, if you don't want to get hurt." And you're not gonna hear
1: that. You're yeah. not gonna
0: yell at it. Like that's just I don't I'm I mean it's i I'm not calling, I'm not saying she's wrong. It's possible. But it does it doesn't seem sensical to me. No,
1: I I agree one hundred percent. Now another woman near Del Mar also claims to have been run off the road by Larry Hall driving a van similar to the one said porch lady described. So if you believe the sighting of the van, then Larry is the number one suspect. Looking at his previous victims, Stacy and Susie were both his "quote" type, and that he was known to be very meticulous about his crime scenes. He was also stated to find his victims and then stalk them.
0: Okay, I'm going to stop you there. If that's true about his meticulous nature about his crime scenes, why is the porch light still there?
1: Well, there's no supposedly there's no fingerprints of his is the meticulous part. Uh, okay, n- he okay. doesn't leave I anything I tying himself I back. Okay, all right, all right. I'll
0: give you that one. I'll shut up again.
1: He would find his victims, stalk them, and then act quickly when an opportunity arose. Larry and Gary were supposedly in the Springfield area that weekend for a Civil War reenactment. Larry also said, quote, three of his victims were from Springfield, end quote, but later recanted that statement. And so my thing with him is, they've got him dead to the rights. And a serial killer is usually very narcissistic, and would brag. Yeah, sometimes,
0: I mean, sometimes when they yeah when they get caught. But I mean, like we're talking about the weepy voice killer. He wasn't braggadocious. He was very remorseful. He just couldn't stop himself.
1: <laughs> the turbines firing up. Next, we get to Gerald Carnahan, and he was convicted of raping and murdering Jackie Johns in 1985. It took many years for this man to get caught, and unlike the other morons we have discussed, Gerald seemed pretty sly about his crimes. And you tend to have a very negative opinion of these guys. Yeah, they're idiots. <laughs> he was somewhat of a successful... Do they own a
0: cigar store?
1: No, not yet. Okay. He was somewhat of a successful businessman and was able to keep his wife in the dark about the murders and the sexual assaults. Now, I could not find a link to him being in the Springfield area or ever having ties to Springfield, but he is a complete douchebag, and he could have committed the murders or a crime. I'm sorry. We don't know if they were murdered. Pretty sure, but yeah. So now we get into theories, and several tips have pointed... what about... Hold on. Which
0: guy was the guy that said that he would tell about what happened when his mom died?
1: I didn't see that. Robert
0: Craig Cox, did we yeah. talk about
1: him? I didn't I didn't see where he said that, but okay. yeah, we talked uh, about him.
0: So Robert Craig Cox stated to authorities and journalists that he would disclose what happened to the three women after his mother dies. Is she still alive? I think she it? is still alive. Hmm. Well, and then you talk about uh some of the things that came in the um on December 31st, 1992, a man called America's Most Wanted hotline with information about the disappearances, but the call was disconnected when the switchboard operator attempted to link up with the Springfield investigators. Police said the caller had, quote, unquote, prime knowledge of the abductions. Unso- uh, America's Most Wanted publicly appealed for the man to contact them again, but he never did. Hmm. Yeah. And then investigators are going to receive a tip that the women's bodies were buried in the foundations of the South Parking Garage at Cox Hospital. In In 2007, reporter Kathleen Baird interviewed Rick Norland, a mechanical engineer, and he scanned a corner of the parking garage with ground-penetrating radar. Norlin found three anomalies, quote, roughly the same size, end quote, that he said were consistent with, quote, graveside locations. Two of the anomalies were parallel and the other was was perpendicular. Police spokesman Lisa Cox said that the person who reported the tip, quote, provided no evidence or logical reasoning behind this theory at the time or since then, end quote. She also said that the parking garage began construction in September 1993, over a year after the disappearances digging up the area and subsequently reconstructing the structure would be extremely costly and without any reasonable belief that the bodies could be located there. It is illogical to do so, and for those reasons, SPD does not intend to. Investigators
1: had determined this lead to not be credible, end quote. Now, apparently they were even less likely to do anything because the engineer himself offered to pay to have a core sample taken from the three Mm -hmm. areas, and they refused that. Well, there may be a reason behind
0: it because Daryl Moore, a former assistant at the Greene County Prosecutor's Office, said the tip came from someone who, quote, claimed to be a psychic or claimed to have a dream or vision about the case, end quote.
1: That's true, and in the episode, the 48 Hours episode, they actually have some of the detectives from the Springfield Police... That didn't have a problem talking to psychics and they start looking for a man with black wingtips. Listen,
0: I you know, I'm you know, I believe in paranormal, I believe in things, so I I believe that the possibility of psychics, I think it's unlikely. However, if a psychic calls in and says, Hey man, I think these three bodies are here
1: buried. And then you and do... And then
0: you find three body-size anomalies.
1: And this guy has a proven... track, Like, he does uh, unmarked graves. Like, yeah. he'll do ground-penetrating radar for unmarked graves. And he said, look, this is extremely similar to what I see when I scan graveyards. Yeah. So that's my thing. They They would have been out no money. It would have been maybe five hours, six hours tops to basically block off that little area, Mm -hmm. take some core samples, and then at least you know. I mean, and the guy's willing to pay for it. That's what I don't know. That was my biggest what the fuck. But anyway,
0: I digress. I mean, that's just what... All I'm saying is you should take any information from any source, even if they claim to be psychics, because, yeah, you go do the... They went... Far enough to do the actual ground penetrating radar. Why would they why were they willing to do that if it was a non-credible?
1: I agree, man. You know what I'm saying? I totally oh, agree. Oh, we don't we
0: we don't find psychics credible. Well you went out there and you did ground penetrating radar.
1: And then you're looking for you, a guy with black wingtips. And
0: you found Anomaly. three body sized anomalies. Who gives a damn about a parking structure? Take it down. Well, and my thing is... You know why? Because it stimulates the economy because you have to rebuild it.
1: (laughs) Well, the other thing is you're not out any money. You take those core samples. If there's bone fragments, then you're going to have to dig that section of the garage up. If there's not, you fill the son of bitches back up with concrete and call it a day. Yeah. I don't know. I I think that that is... uh a black eye on the investigations. What I have said. Well, I just think that the, it,
0: you should do anything necessary. I agree, but that's just me. I'm a I'm a true crime podcast guy. What the fuck do I know? I don't know how much that shit would cost. It doesn't that matter. I, I, he
1: was going to. Do, that's my biggest thing. I, oh. I'm hanging on the fact that he was going to pay for the core samples. You're not out any money. It, it cost. It cost the. Cost? It cost the county and the city absolutely nothing. So, yeah, not good, Springfield, not good. Now, it's reasonable to believe that these women were taken by more than one perpetrator, in my opinion. The house, in also in my opinion, seems to have been staged, possibly staged, kind of staged, especially if the purses are lined up on that step. What makes you think there was more than one perpetrator? What the only th- And here's what I was going to get to. It's either more than one perpetrator, or that perpetrator had a gun. Yeah, of
0: course. That's what. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, you can, you can get three, you can get three people to shut the hell up with a gun if you if those three ain't
1: got one. And you wake them up from a dead sleep. Yeah. Now, someone wanted and exactly got whoever come across the house to think that they just disappeared. Now, Larry Hall is the only suspect that I would think could have staged a house, but on the other hand, he has a history of, quote, irrational behavior and states that when he kills, he blacks out. Hmm. Now, I wouldn't even rule out an accident with Stacy and Susie at one of the parties, and they take them back to the house and discover Cheryl's there, and then they have to take Cheryl away. But, I mean, we're just, you know hypothesizing at this moment but uh, now here is a very odd theory that i found And this one and you're gonna have to give me a little i'm gonna have to give you some lines you're gonna have to take some slack here for a second the theory states that janelle kirby and her boyfriend mike may be co-contributors or perpetrators Hmm. now janelle's house is the last quote party that Susie and stacy attended Janelle's mother also provided an alibi to the police stating that she heard both Susie and Stacy leave her house from her upstairs bedroom that night. Now, not only did Janelle and Mike let themselves into the house, but Mike also swept up the broken porch light and threw it in a garbage can across the street. Now, that seems harmless on the surface, but why not put it in a garbage can at the residence? or your girlfriend just walked in, why are you not walking in with the dustpan and dumping it into the trash can inside the house? Yeah, good point. Now, Janelle is the only one that claims to have received a call while she was at the house. Supposedly, Mike had already exited the house when the phone rang. This is convenient that she just happened to answer the phone at someone's house whom she was looking for. Now, it did come to light That when Janelle was being interviewed, she referred to Susie as, quote, that other girl and Stacy by name. Mm. Now, supposedly, they all three were great friends that were about to spend an entire day at a water park together. She has also changed her timeline of events at least twice. Once stating she started calling at 730 to Susie's house and then later she changes it to 930. Now, it is suspicious that not finding Stacy and Susie at home, she did not attempt to call Stacy's mom, Janice McCall, to ask if the, lady, the two women were at, that, at her house. All the purses, keys, cigarettes, and cars were at the house. If you can pick up on a dog being visibly upset or agitated, how can an intelligent 18-year-old not sense something else is wrong when you walk in the house? Stacy's mom, Janice, called Janelle's house the morning of June 7th looking for Stacy, and was told by Janelle's younger sister that the girls went back to Susie's house. Mm -hmm. She then went to a boat race with her family. She was not informed until around 7 p.m. that something was wrong, and this was after other people were informed the women were nowhere to be found. Now, the fact that Janice listened to the answer machine seems odd to some, but... Her daughter was nowhere to be found. She had already called another house and couldn't find her there. And her clothes are still in Susie's bedroom. Almost anyone would have tried anything to find a clue to where their daughter was at. The fact that the message deleted after being played is just a shitty, sad accident, in my opinion. And I would also like to know what kind of answer machine they had, because I remember my parents, you had to press a separate button twice to delete messages. Or it would say, after you played it, do you want to delete it? Now, there's also the fact that no less than 18 people were allowed to enter the house on 1717 East Del Mar Street on June 7th. Yeah, that is pretty weird. Some of which started trying to make coffee and tidy up the place. Some people are so
0: concerned about how their,
1: you know, people's house looks like, oh, the cops can't come in here with this mess. Even Janice stated to authorities that she thought this was odd and that they should stop messing until the sheriff showed up. I don't believe all 18 visitors had ill intentions, but I believe a couple of them might be straightening things up. You think? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's
0: that's definitely possible.
1: It is uh, reminiscent of the Jean-Benet Ramsey when they come in with donuts and coffee and start moving shit in that house. I don't know. Now, I don't know if any of the morons that we discussed previously as suspects have a history of harming animals, but it seems a little suspect that the offender would let the dog survive. At the very least, the dog would have been locked in a room, a bathroom, a bedroom, or something. I don't know, man. Because if you're trying to... I know my dog. If I'm trying to forcibly do something he's in the house, he's in the fucking way.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And if I do something to, even if I, who have a, I have a pretty good relationship with said dog, if I act like I'm beating up on my son or my wife, he's there with his hair standing up like, no, this ain't happening, Captain. So I just find that odd, too. Really? We're covering something, a case that's odd? I know that's it's crazy. No crazy way. Crazy talk. No way. Now, after researching this case, I can't help but feel like one or two or possibly more of those 18 people at the Del Mar residence were there to monitor what was going on now Janelle was also noticed by an officer to be visibly wet around 8 p.m that night and she stated that she was coming back from the water park despite the fact that her friends were missing and she couldn't find them she decides to go to Branson on the surface I kind of lean both ways on that one if she's She may just be a clueless child that just graduated and was like, they may have already left with somebody else. I'm going anyway. But, again, she could have some nefarious motives. Now, with both Cheryl and Susie being taken, one automatically thinks they were the prime targets, but I'm not so sure. Could this be an assault gone wrong by one man? Possibly, because Susie and Stacy could have very well been followed leaving one of the parties. The fact that this happened on graduation night seems a little too convenient. I think this could be a big clue in the case. I also think, in hindsight, that authorities wasted some time on some possible red herrings. When people go missing, there are some pieces of shit out there that like to try and attach themselves to the case and get their little face on TV and mm-hmm. in the papers. If And, and I, I say this kind of like, if you're driving down the road and this dumbass in a red, older car does something then subconsciously you start seeing every other red car on your trip is that the same dumbass so subconsciously you're seeing ties to this i'll go on record and we kind of already went on record i believe that the porch ladies counts complete bullshit there's no way she could have heard a man talking in the back of a van over a from her porch to the street over an engine there's just no way Now, what I do believe is this case needs what led authorities to make arrests in the Rebecca Gould case, and that is a new set of investigators should be handed this case. I believe fresh eyes would help.
0: Fresh eyes always help, especially, you know, modern fresh eyes with the advancements in criminal
1: technology. (laughs) (laughs) I also believe that authorities could have released more details about the women's activities days before they disappeared. I also wish the people attending the various parties would be re-interviewed to see if any of the original interviews kind of missed something or interviewers missed something. There might be that one clue that they didn't think of when they first interviewed and they might, hey, I remember we were at this party and these idiots drove by and they were in whatever. They might have been in a green van. I mean, hell, who knows? I do still believe that There are people that live or have lived in Springfield that know exactly what happened. And I believe that the reason the bodies have not been discovered is because they are at a location that, if found, would implicate the true killer. Now, unfortunately, more than 5,000 tips have come in to authorities, and as of this podcast, not a single one has panned out. At the time of their disappearance, Cheryl Elizabeth Levitt, the mother of Susie, was described as being five foot tall, 110 pounds, with short light blonde hair and brown eyes. Susie, Suzanne Elizabeth Streeter, was described as five foot two inches tall, weighing 102 pounds, with a shoulder length blonde hair and brown eyes. Stacy Kathleen McCall, Susie's friend, was described as five foot three inches tall and weighing 120 pounds, with long dark blonde hair and light color eyes. If you have any information, about this case, please contact the Springfield, Missouri police. we've kind of, you know, talked about theories there at the end, but I think mine is, like I said previously, it's either one man, I think either one of the women was targeted and the other two were collateral damage or Susie and her friend were targeted and Cheryl just happened to be collateral damage. How they got them out of the house and the beds, they you know, and everything I read, the beds appeared that they were, at the time of their disappearance, they were asleep in the bed. They had washed their faces, took their makeup off, you know, that kind of thing. You're looking at a short window, really, because supposedly they got back to Susie's house at 2.15. And even with Janelle changing her timeline, at the latest, she says 9.30, so add 30 minutes to that. 10 o'clock in the morning, you're looking at, what, six, seven hours? Window? Yeah, something like that. To get them all out of the house. And I think that it did happen before sunrise. I think that under the cover of darkness is how you get those three women out and no one sees you. Mm -hmm. And the witching hour between two and sunrise, I mean, there ain't nobody paying attention. Unfortunately, it will take a deathbed confession or someone with a guilty conscience to come forward.
0: Mm -hmm. I I mean, I just don't think it's going to happen at this point. I mean, it's it's sad, but I really think we need to go back to the anomalies and find out, and at, le- at the very least, find closure.
1: And I kind of glanced over the the previous days, their movements leading up to that day. I think that's that's an avenue that needed to be exhausted. And you know, we've kind of stated on some cases about how the cops hold stuff close to the best that only the killer knows, but at the same time there might have been something that happened in those days that one of those ladies said to a friend that could trigger someone else's memory about car or a person or, you know, I just feel like letting that stuff go, put that stuff out there if you're the authorities. What did you find when you looked into the days leading up to the disappearance in each person's life? And it, it could be as simple as, you know, Stacy and, and Susie had already completed their finals and they went to this graduate or baccalaureate and then both of them worked at their job. And Cheryl, you know, got paid and she went to this bank and she cashed her check. And does anyone remember seeing her leaving the parking lot of said bank? I mean, you know, just, mm-hmm. just some basic stuff that's not really going to tip your hand at what you know. So, but do you have a specific theory or. I like Cox, to be honest with you. I think he's the number one suspect, especially after you said he made that comment that yeah, after his mother passes.
0: I'm fairly sure that he's
1: he's going to confess and
0: reveal what really happened, and, but this still remains the question why and how and all that. But So that's my theory as well, is that he really is guilty of it, and he's going to reveal it. I mean, he's got nothing to lose. He's already in jail for life, so why not? But I really just want to know where they are. Let's find, let, let's look at, let's get those core samples. Let's do that. Get off
1: your asses, guys. Come on. I guarantee you, you could do a GoFundMe and have the money within a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hell, I would, this podcast would donate a couple hundred bucks. No, no. I <laughs> <coughs> choked on my Budweiser. <laughs>
0: a couple hundred. I got five on it.
1: <laughs> all right, coach will put in five. Podcast will put in a hundred.
0: <laughs> damn, damn near spit on the microphone.
1: <laughs> it's a shame we're not doing live. Yeah, want to do it live. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that is the case of the Springfield Three. We get into recommendations. Now there is a podcast that is available through Edit Audio on all podcast apps, and it is called The Springfield Three: A Small Town Disappearance. They have, let's see, I think eight, yeah, eight episodes. They are anywhere from 25 to 30 minutes each. You could binge this, and they do a great job. They do a a lot of in-depth research that we just didn't have time to do. They have extremely high ratings. There was one of their five-star reviews says that I not only lived in Springfield at the time this happened, but in my early 20s, around 2002, a friend from high school moved into that house every person I knew from Springfield has a connection to that case or a theory. Hmm. So if we have whet your appetite for the Springfield 3 case and you were not privy to this case, I suggest you listen to that podcast. That's my recommendation for the week. What you got over there?
0: I'm going to recommend Dope Sick on Hulu. If you have not watched this, it is freaking... It's uh, well made, but the story is fucking crazy. And Michael Keaton is an amazing actor. It's about the opioid epidemic with OxyContin and all that. And it's like a seven-eight part series. I've seen previews of it. It does look good. Oh my god, it's good. Watch it, and like your jaw will be on the floor the whole time. Like the shit these these people are trying to pull. They dumped all that shit in Appalachia and. Yeah, well, yeah, hillbilly that, cocaine, man. That's where it's uh, it's not hillbilly cocaine, it's opioid, isn't it? Hillbilly heroin, same difference. Cocaine's an upper, heroin's a downer. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't get my drugs right. You, damn god, dude, I, I sent know, you I, the pamphlet
1: and some black tar to try, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and samples. <laughs> I gave you samples. <laughs> Well, Coach, you got anything but, else? I
0: mean, seriously, check that out because, yeah, the, the, the main focus, one of the main focuses is right there in West Virginia in the coal country, and it's just, man, it's crazy. Check
1: that out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, y'all have a lovely, lovely week. Deuces. <laughs>